What does a barn in the English countryside have to do with the Pilgrims of America? And did anyone die on the Mayflower's 1620 voyage? Was anyone born? Answers to those and other questions on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and learn a little bit about our American heritage. We've got a show today filled with great questions about Thanksgiving and the Pilgrims because this is the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower landing. So anybody who is, has an ancestor on the Mayflower is old American blood. You've been on this continent for four centuries. And we'll celebrate that today with some great information. So, Marcia, I have a question for you. Yes. What does a barn in the English countryside have to do with the pilgrims and Thanksgiving? A barn in the countryside. A barn is about 21 miles north of London. Was w it what it was made with? Yes, that's it. Experts believe that the Mayflower is part of a barn in the English countryside, well, 20 miles north of London. How did the Mayflower get back to England? It actually made two round trips to America. I and didn't know it, this. Okay. So let's explore this for a minute. The location is known as Jordan's Farm and consists of a large old house, 400 years old, which has been remodeled with modern furnishings, just beautifully modern. Uh -huh. I mean, it's like, you know, Beverly Hills modern. But the roots of this whole building is old. It was owned by the Quaker Church for 400 years, and they kept excellent records. And the little wine ship, the Mayflower, because that's what the Mayflower carried before it came to America. It was a cargo ship for 45 years all over Europe. Really? Yeah. It was considered a sweet and valiant ship by those who sailed it, but it was an old, experienced vessel when it made its first voyages to the New World. And it was built to carry goods, not people. So that's where the pilgrims stayed during their voyage, in the dark, damp cargo hold. And the Mayflower, as I said, actually made two trips to America. But, now think about this, Marcia. All the ships back in those days were made out of what? Wood. Yeah, wood. And, of course, wood, after a while, eventually it becomes unseaworthy. So what did they do with the ships? They busted them up and sold the timber. And the people buying the timber were farmers who were looking to make barns back then. Yeah, that makes sense. And they didn't have that much wood uh, in the forests in England, did they? No, and they, they were looking for those big, large oak beams. So they mm. purchased their beams from ship breakers. These were companies that salvaged ships once the admiralty declared mm. they were unseaworthy. And then they'd have to be broken up. That's what happened to the Mayflower, because its captain died two years after the Mayflower's last trip to America in 1622. And he died, and then his widow and the other investors busted up that ship. They sold it to shipbreakers, and they have records from that farm that still exists, because that farm was owned for 400 years by the Quaker Church, that show that this barn is made of timbers from the Mayflower, including that original screw that they used. There was a big wooden screw that they used. <laughs> I didn't know that. To bring the ship together when it almost burst apart. Oh, really? Jeez. In the middle of the ocean, yeah. Oh, wow. So apparently this happened all the time. The ships were busted up in either London or other places, and then the bones of the ship were carried over land by ox carts. And most of the timbers went to the building this barn at a place called Old Jordan. It's in Buckinghamshire. And for years... It housed the wealthy owner's race car collection. 
Oh. See, there's a picture I found here online of this barn with his great, beautiful race cars, and this old barn is the Mayflower. And then in the in the house of this uh, estate, basically, in the kitchen, there's a big old door there that they say came from the Mayflower. It's 400 years old. That so. would be cool. That's where the old bones of the Mayflower apparently went to rest. Speaking of bones, okay, did anyone die on the Mayflower's 1620 voyage? Was anybody born? I know. Uh, I think somebody was washed off of the ship, I believe, and died. May have been some people die. I know there was. Yeah, there were, I know there was at least one baby born. T- tell me, what would you? Okay, g- well, I thought a whole bunch of people died, but they died after they got off the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, it was only two people that actually died during the voyage. Uh, first was a sailor, and then uh, whose name we don't know, but the second was a passenger, a young servant named William Button. And after the ship arrived, many other passengers and sailors died of illness. Mm-hmm. And three babies were born on the Mayflower. Wow. I thought it was only one, Oceana. Mm-hmm. But uh, this says, after the ship arrived at Cape Cod, Susanna White gave birth to a son, but that's after it arrived. Well, you have to remember that they stayed on that ship all winter long. Oh, oh so. Yeah, that was their home. That for- wasn't during the voyage. No, but when okay. they got here, they were on that ship because they were trying to build houses yeah. and things. And it was... This time of year, it was winter. There was not enough time to get houses built and everything else. Yeah, so they, oh gosh, that must have been terrible. So then a baby was died, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Mary Allergen gave birth to a stillborn son aboard Mm. the ship after it had landed. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, but only two people died during the voyage. Okay. All right, Marcia. How many people have ancestors on the Mayflower? Oh, my gosh. You mean ancestors. Ancestors on the Mayflower. How Bes- many people besides around, you? around the world? Yes, <laughs> besides me. Okay, that's one. It's a big club. <laughs> it's a big club. It's a very big club. I'll bet. Yes. I'll, uh, gosh, I'll say 150,000 people. No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Way too much, way too little. Okay, now remember, nearly half of the passengers on the Mayflower died the first winter. Oh, that's true. And only 51 out of the 102 passengers had any children. Okay, Only so... 51. So 400 years and 10 to 16 generations later, an okay. estimated 35 million people... Okay, oh, so you got me on that 35 one. 35 million people around the world can trace their ancestry to one of those 51 people. Now... That's what's so interesting about the Mayflower because the genealogy has been done on it for centuries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people started following this out. Isn't there a society of descendants? Yes, the Society of Mayflower Descendants. This is how fast the descendants of the Mayflower has grown. After five generations, there were only 60,000 documented descendants, actually 59,450 people that were documented. And they lived about 200 to 250 years ago. So we've gone from 60,000 descendants to 35 million today. Oh, wow. And there's a new Pilgrim database from the New England Historical Genealogical Society, and they can help you determine if you're a Mayflower descendant because all you have to do is link back to one of those 59,000 people from the 1700s, and you're on your way to be a Mayflower descendant. Okay, Bob, true or false? The reason the Pilgrim settlement was named Plymouth is because Plymouth is a car that they all drove. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is multiple choice. That's A. Okay, what's B? It was named Plymouth because, <laughs> because Plymouth, England, is the city from which they sailed. That is the city from which it sailed at one point because they had to stop there and come back a couple times. So I'll say yes. That's the reason. No, it's false. 
Oh, really? Yes, yes, you are wrong. Explorer Captain John Smith, famous for his exploits in Virginia, uh, mapped the New England coast in 1614. Oh, before the Mayflower came. And when he returned, he gave a blank copy of his map to Prince Charles. He became king in 1625 after the death of his father, King James. Uh But anyway, Charles put English names on the map, including Plymouth and Charles River. So it is named after the city. Oh, yes, but not because they came from there. That's just a coincidence. So Prince Charles decided, I'm going to name these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I put my name on that river yeah. there and other yeah. things. And yeah. so that name was already on the map, so they had to go by that name once they got there. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question that has some Mayflower roots, but not all Mayflower roots. So it's about U.S. presidents, okay? Okay. How many families have produced multiple U.S. presidents? How many American families have produced multiple U.S. presidents? Really? Okay, let me just count here. Uh, so just name some families. Yeah, Adams. Adams family, yeah. The Bushes. The Bushes, the Roosevelt's. Yeah. Uh, uh, one more family. One more family. Do I know these people? We've discussed one of them on this show before. Uh, well, that really narrows it down. The Harrisons. Oh, yeah, I'm going to guess that. So the Adams family produced John Adams... The president, second president, and his son, John Quincy Adams. The Harrison family produced William Henry Harrison, the ninth uh, president, and his grandson, Benjamin Harrison. So they're the only grandfather-grandson presidential duo. You know, I never put those two together. How bizarre. But one of their ancestors, William's father, was Benjamin Harrison. He's considered a uh, founding father because he signed the Declaration of Independence. So quite a family there. You said the Roosevelts. They produced Teddy the 26th president, and his fifth cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was the 32nd. And then the Bush family produced uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and his son, George Walker Bush, W. But guess what? What? The Harrisons also linked to Abraham Lincoln. How so? Well, the president's grandfather, Captain Abraham Lincoln, married Bathsheba Harrison. She was descended from a branch of the Harrison family that settled in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. Bathsheba. So, so that family actually is responsible for three U.S. presidents. Wow. The two Harrisons and then Abraham Lincoln. Okay, back to the Pilgrims. Okay. okay. Three of those presidential families I mentioned have something in common. The Adams family, John and John Quincy. The... Franklin Delano Roosevelt, just Franklin, not his cousin, and the Bushes. They all have something in common related to the Pilgrims. Okay. The they Ro- are related to the Pilgrims. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> the Bushes, Roosevelt's, and who else? And the Adams family. They're all related. They're descended from they Pilgrims. Were. And they're not the only ones. How many U.S. presidents were descended? This is the fascinating thing because I think people, we all think about, oh, those Pilgrims landed there, and oh, they were the first here. Well, so what? Well, You go through the bloodline and all the famous Americans that came from those people. It's amazing, including nine U.S. presidents. So the ones I mentioned, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Zachary Taylor, Ulysses S. Grant, John Garfield, Calvin Coolidge, FDR, George Herbert Walker Bush, and George W. Bush. Not only that, four U.S. vice presidents. All right. To follow up on that, Bob, Uh how are the two presidents Bush related to FDR? I bet it's through the Mayflower ancestor yes. connection. Yes. Okay, but I don't understand how they are. You've got some information well, on that? Well, that's true. They both have descendants, but they are related to each other. In 1620, Jane de la Noy was a small girl who arrived in America with her parents on the Mayflower. Okay. She was the first President Bush's grandmother, 11 times removed. <laughs> her cousin, Philip de la Noy, 
had his name become Americanized to Delano. No kidding. And his grandson, 11 times removed, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, making Roosevelt and the two Bushes cousins. I'll be darned, because their cousins were on the Mayflower. Uh See, now that's the kind of detail that really makes this a fascinating story. You can find that, like my guy was George Soule, and he was an indentured servant. I found out recently that he was also a printer and helped to print a book with Edward Winslow, who who Uh hired him as an indentured servant. Uh, As a tutor, right? He was a tutor to to Winslow's children. Yeah. But I always thought it was strange because I always heard that my guy was one of the strangers, not one of the people who are the, you know, members of the faith, if you Uh would call it that. Uh But I found out he helped Winslow publish a book in Holland that became such a controversial bestseller that King James went looking after them with secret agents. So they all had to leave. And then they ended up on the Mayflower with assumed names. Oh, changed their names. So he wouldn't find them. And their names, they signed the Mayflower Compact, but their names were never published until after King James died. Well, our kids are like this. (laughs) I mean, that makes it more human, you know? It's not like all these people, you know, 400 years ago. They're rebels with a cause. Yes, yes. Okay, let's talk turkey, Bob. That's appropriate. It's Uh, Thanksgiving time. It is, it is. And uh, turkeys are indigenous to America. And a few questions about them, uh, or factoids. As you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin sat down to eat their first meal on the moon. Foil food packets contained roasted turkey... And all the trimmings. Oh, no kidding. So their first meal on the moon was turkey. Turkey and the trimmings. How American that is. Like, it wasn't November, but it was, you know. July. Grateful Thanksgiving dinner. July 1969, yeah. So here's a question, Bob. Okay. Mature turkeys have about how many feathers? How many feathers on a mature turkey? Correct. Why, you know, this is like how many hairs are on your head. Yeah, it's just yeah. an amazing number it if is. somebody actually counts this stuff. So I'd say a thousand, probably several thousand feathers on a turkey. Very good. It is several. It's 3,500 feathers on its little butterball body. Wow. Speaking of butterball, <laughs> I love this. In 2016, there were over 100,000 phone calls to the Butterball Turkey Talk Hotline. 100,000 calls yeah. at the Turkey Talk Hotline. <laughs> 100,000 phone calls to the Butterball Turkey Talk Line for, you know, chefs in a pickle who needed some advice. Over 100,000 calls. Every year around Thanksgiving, you hear them giving out their hotline uh, number so people can call, and Butterball is a is a turkey name. Yes, a major brand. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We're back. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. And you're listening to The Off-Ramp. I got some more people related oh. to the Pilgrims. These Can are we... famous people. Okay. Alec Baldwin, uh-huh. one of your favorite actors. Christopher Lloyd, the guy who played yeah. Superman. Superboy. No, Christopher Lloyd. I'm sorry, is... Christopher Reeve. Christopher oh. Lloyd of Back to the Future is, though. He's oh, related. Okay. Future boy. Clint Eastwood. Dick Van Dyke is related to five pilgrims. Amazing. How does that happen? Well, five different families. He's got uh, Peter yeah. Brown, Francis Cook, George well, Sewell, Miles How Standish, did... and John Alden. That is Yeah, and he's related weird. to George Soule, who is one of my you know, ancestors. That's yours. Humphrey Bogart, Joanne Woodward, John Lithgow, Catherine Hepburn, Marilyn Monroe, ah. Orson Welles, Richard Gere, and Sally Field, all related to the Pilgrims. All okay. right. Bob, <laughs> here's another turkey fact. Okay. I know you've been waiting for him. Yes, I have. The heaviest turkey weighed how much? 
The heaviest turkey. Yeah. Oh, well, I bet that's pretty heavy. I bet the heaviest turkey was like 70 pounds. That's pretty good. 86 pounds. Wow. Pass the stuffing. Boy, oh, man. That's a big family get That would together. be a big, big family table. Yep. And let me see. And going back to those turkey feathers, the Indians really, you know, knew how to use everything. <laughs> okay, turkey feathers, got you. Yeah, they used them to stabilize arrows. We still see that today. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And adorn their Native American ceremonial dress. And the spurs on those little skinny wild tom turkey legs were used as projectiles on arrowheads. I didn't know that. I (laughs) thought it was always uh, some kind of carved stone or something. Yeah, so did I. But you could just... uh, Wow. Domestic turkeys cannot fly. Did you know that? I knew that Uh, because I had been chased by them. Where? At a fence <laughs> when I was a kid. I was on my bike, and they just started after me. I was like, oh, my God. And then some of them were trying to fly up over the fence, and uh-huh. it was scary. Aww. You know, these big birds. I'd love to. I'd give anything to have a I was probably post that on Facebook. 10 or 11 years old. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to come after me. I so would have. <laughs> I so would have put, posted that. Okay. Okay, Marcia. How long did that voyage take? How long were the pilgrims at sea? Oh, gosh. Three months? Yeah, a little more than three months, actually, in time. Ten weeks. Ten weeks on that ship. They left on September the 9th, I believe it was, and I think they sighted land on November the 9th. And this was the worst time of the year to come. They started in July. They left in July the first time, and then the, the second ship that was with them, the Speedwell, broke down and had to come back. And then they, they repaired it, and then they took off again, and they got 300 miles into the ocean and had to turn around and come back. Why? Because the sh- other ship, again, the Speedwell, started taking on water, was going Jeez, to sink. how depressing. So then they, they decided eventually just, let's get rid of that ship, and as many people as we can get on this, we'll get on. And so other a lot people, of people had to stay behind? Some people decided they didn't want to go, oh. you know, after 12. To getting out this in the ocean, and nobody had ever been on the ocean. Most of these people were yeah. farmers and stuff, you know, yeah. shopkeepers. So, yeah, so then the third time was a try. They left in September finally. Huh. So, some of these people have been on and off this boat since July trying to get away from religious persecution. Some of them, not all of them. Wow. Interesting. So then finally they, they took off in 10 weeks to get over here. So they arrived in November, and that's why it was so horrific. Yeah, so wow. terrible. Wow. And then the, then the winter's coming on, you know, bam. And then they didn't talk to the first Indians till the spring. We'll get to that in a minute. Here's a related question. Okay. How long were the pilgrims on board the Mayflower? Well, I... Okay, this is not how long did the voyage take. Yeah. Because they stayed on the ship through winter. Most of the, they lived on the ship. Yeah. Okay, they kept coming off on the land, but they lived on the ship. Okay, I'll say, I'll say six months. Yeah, it's close to that, seven to nine months, depending on when they joined the voyage and how soon they left the ship for shelter on land. So uh, many passengers spent much of the entire winter, uh, seven to nine months, on board the ship. Oh, and if you've seen any videos of the new Mayflower 2, where they they get you can go on board and see what this these areas were like where they stayed, which was the not where the crew stayed. The crew had better they had cabins. Everybody was just in this one floor. Oh with, dear. With God. mattresses and stuff. So there ah. no privacy. You're down there for six to seven months. And going along with that, as of March of sixteen twenty one, they were they started going back out working on the land, building homes and things. Uh-huh. And one day in March, March 16th, 1621, they were very surprised when this Indian walked straight into Plymouth Colony where they were, and he greeted them in English. He said, greetings, English people. (laughs) 
That must have blown their mind. This was the first. <laughs> this was the first Native American they had talked to. Yeah, and he's and he's t- speaking in perfect English. That's hilarious. I, I I can't remember his name. I have a feeling you know. Samoset. Samoset. Okay. Now, I do have a passage here. This is from a book in 1622 called Mort's Relation, and it is an eyewitness account. You take a listen to this. Okay. okay. Friday the 16th was a fair, warm day. We were finishing our work when a strange-looking man, a man which caused us to be surprised because he seemed unafraid, just walked into the village. We stopped him. He spoke to us in English and was friendly. He said he had learned some English among the Englishmen that came to fish at Monhegan Island, and he gave us their names. He was a man who spoke freely and openly. We questioned him about many things. He was the first Indian we met, and he had been eight months in these parts. And he told us of every area of the chiefs, their number of men. The wind began to rise a little, so he put a coat around him because he wore very little clothes. He had a bow and two arrows. He was a tall, straight man, the hair of his head black and very long, but no hair on his face at all because they were all wearing beards. He asked for a drink. We gave him strong water and a biscuit and butter. What is strong water? The British. Give him a biscuit, right? (laughs) Strong water and biscuit and butter and cheese and pudding and a piece of mallard duck, which he liked. And then the big thing he told them about was the place where they now live was known as Patuxet by the Indians. And all the Indians who lived there died of a sickness and none were left. Four years earlier, all the Indians died. Mm -hmm. He said, so they cannot hurt us or say the land where we now live belongs to them. So he told them, you're safe. Wow. Nobody's going to attack you. And they said, all afternoon we spent talking with him. We thought he would leave that night, but he didn't leave. Then we thought to carry him on ship, and he intended to leave, but the wind was high and the water was not deep enough, so he couldn't return that day. So we lodged him that night at Stephen Hopkins' house, and we watched him. <laughs> Isn't that well, fascinating? He, and so he learned English that well, and that uh, he was he was that good at speaking from just hanging around the well, another English group. They or did believe he... that he was taken on board a ship and may have gone back to England with some that, Englishmen. I heard about some Indian yeah. going back and being educated in England. Was it him? I don't believe he it... was educated there. No, but he 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 had a he had a lot of experience with English fishermen and English people who'd been Jeez. over there, and he learned the language. He came back with Squanto, a native leader who also spoke English. So here's two Native Americans who could speak English with these people, and he said that some of the Indians had had a cruel trick played on them by the Europeans. They took twenty. Indians and carried them away and sold them for slaves. So he knew all this stuff he told them. We think of this guy just walking in saying hello and speaking English, but they spent a whole day with him and he became a friend and he brought the tribe over and they all became friends for 50 years without a war. 50 years. Were they the ones for the first Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah. And apparently the Indians heard a big commotion where the settlement was and they thought, they're being attacked. Let's go over there and help them. Uh-huh. So 90 braves showed up and say, found this big feast. And they went, oh, a feast. Oh. And they said, well, well, we'll go get some stuff. And they went out and got some deer and brought it back. And, and they all uh, they all ate, ate together. together. That's, uh, so a good start. But, of course, things things went sour. But it was 50 years they had peace with them. They actually had peace with the, the tribe. The good lesson for all of us. Amazing. Like a miracle. According, Bob, to the Guinness Book of World Records, The world's largest turkey farm is in Norfolk, England, and they produce one million turkeys a year in that country that doesn't even celebrate Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) A million turkeys a year. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, speaking of English people, Mm -hmm. why, Bob, why do the English ride on the left side of the road? Oh, gosh. (laughs) 
the reason I didn't want to drive when we were in England. No kidding. What is the reason for that? You want to just guess? Uh, have something to do with horses, maybe? Uh, in a way, yeah. It goes back to medieval days. Medieval days. Okay, now explain it. So it's the knights in armor would travel village to village, and they'd keep their sword to the right. And in order to have his strong hand toward the middle of the road in case he was attacked, if he rode on the right side of the road, it would mean he'd have to fight with his weaker hand. The left side. Uh, the, the left, left side. Okay. But he kept it. He rode on the right so he could fight with his stronger arm. Oh, no kidding. So even so, in horses back in then. It, it goes back to the knights Holy in cow. medieval times. Knights in armor. Who would have thought that? They just can't give it up, can they? Well, why don't... <laughs> <laughs> the wrong side of the road, as I call it. Okay, I have a few more names here of uh, famous Americans. Okay, that were descendants? Of the pilgrims. Okay, who? One of your favorite chefs, Julia Jaiu. <laughs> Just a little more wine, please. (laughs) (laughs) Amelia Earhart, famous aviator, was descended from some pilgrims, some people on the Mayflower. Um, You can thank your cameras for... Kodak? Yes, George Eastman, the inventor of Kodak Uh cameras and the Kodak film. Um, Let's see. Singers Ashley Judd of the Judds uh-huh. and Bing Crosby. Um, writers uh, Arthur Schulzberger, the publisher of the New York Times. Uh-huh. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Laura Ingalls Wilder, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Noah Webster. Now, here's the funniest one of all. Okay, you think of the pilgrims as being these God-fearing people and not quite as strict as we make them out to be. But, you know, they were very concerned with manners and what was pertinent and important. <laughs> And guess who uh, is another descendant of the Mayflower? Man who invented Playboy magazine, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, just to round it up, uh, also astronaut Alan Shepard, Mm -hmm. Charles Dana Gibson, Grandma Moses, the artist, John Trumbull, an artist. And believe it or not, the uh, reigning crown princess of Greece, Marie Chantel Miller, is somehow descended from one of the pilgrims. So you got you got presidents, you got royalty, you got artists, you got astronauts, you got explorers, you got inventors. They all contributed to the history of America uh-huh. because of the people that came on that boat. Fifty-one people on that boat. Oh, yeah. then there's me, <laughs> just a regular guy. Hey, destined to do a podcast there you in go. 2020. None of nobody on the Mayflower knew about podcasts that's back right. then. Okay, or I've, COVID. Well, that's true. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> or do you have something to wrap us up? Or? Oh, you mean uh, like a little quote? Yes. I got one from Ernie Hemingway. Ernie Hemingway. I didn't know you were in first speaking terms well, with Ernie we, Hemingway. We go back. We have a literary relationship. Okay. But uh, I think this is kind of esoteric, uh, but a nice Thanksgiving kind of quote. He said, Now is no time to think of what you do not have, think of what you can do with what. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was certainly what the uh, folks we talked about today oh, dealt with when they the... landed here with just shores with no cities and no villages, and they had to overcoming incredible odds. They had to start to from from scratch, a kind of a clean sheet of paper. So, that's, how many uh, of us could do that today? I think that we probably all look at that and go, "I don't know if I could do that." Mm-hmm. But we're so glad that there were people who began. All the places we live in the world who are the pioneers. Yeah. And that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed our little Thanksgiving episode. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time for The Off-Ramp. Gobble, 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 gobble. (laughs) Let's get to that turkey. (laughs) Yeah. 
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.